Praise the Lord. Turn to Psalms chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10. All right, and you can just follow on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. I'll read it off there. It says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? How many have ever felt like the Lord was far away from you? And this is a message, um, this is a message about being a victim, being victimized. And uh, you're going to see two people in this message, and everybody that reads this chapter or hears this chapter is going to immediately identify with the victim and the one who's getting uh, uh, mistreated and the one who's something bad's happening to them. And almost none of us, do you hear me? Almost none of us will say that we're the arrogant, wicked person in this particular psalm. It's our human nature. But here's the problem. This message, in fact, the title of my message is Help for the Victim. Help for the Victim. And so this is about, God, will you give help to the victim? But as is always the case, the victim always becomes a victimizer too. How many know that? A victim, if God doesn't change their heart, will become a victimizer. And our human nature is to victimize people. And that's why we need help from God to not be a victimizer and also not be the person who's destroyed by being victimized. Does that make sense? So let's read and try to identify with both. Don't be so good that you're not the other person. Really evaluate who we are and what we are. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In His arrogance, okay, this is the one we don't identify with, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. That's God. Some of your versions say, the wicked man will not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all of his enemies. He says to himself, Nothing will ever shake me. He swears no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his, what? Victims. Like a lion in cover, he he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the who? Helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His... Victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under His strength. And, we're, and, and everybody at the same time says, I know how that feels. Now you're talking about me. The rest was the guy that's been giving me trouble my whole life. The man. Right? Now it's finally about me. Start preaching, Pastor, right there. But how many know we're both? We've been crushed and victimized and we've been the wicked who has victimized others and there's the problem. There's the problem because how does God remove the same person? How does God strike down 
the one who's both victimizing and the victim. You say, well, it's simple. Just wipe out that wicked person. That's you too. So we've got a problem. People are allowed to victimize other people or else God would have to wipe you out. And God also has to help the one who's victimized. Correct? Let's go on. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief. You take it in hand. The Who? The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness. That would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. You listen to their cry. You defend the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never strike, never again strike terror. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. Lord, I ask that you put your anointing upon this message, Lord. Lord, I don't want words to be mine, Lord God, but, but your Spirit, Holy Spirit, right now, speak through me, hide me, Lord, that I would disappear and they would hear your counsel, Lord. Bless this message. Bring healing, Lord, to the helpless, the hopeless, the victim, Lord. Father, and those who are victimizing, Lord God. Lord, touch both, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Today I want to talk about the victim mentality. Anybody ever heard that term? It's a psychological term. Now, when everybody listen closely, don't mess around. I want to make sure you hear this. This is a definition from a dictionary, a dictionary definition of what victim mentality is. Victim mentality is an acquired personality trait. Acquired. What does that mean? I wasn't born with it. I acquired it all on my own. It says the person tends to recognize themselves as a victim of other people's negative actions and behave in a way um, that in the face of contrary evidence is not true. So, a victim mentality means somebody's negative actions on me. How many people here think you can hide from being victimized? You can't hide from it. You're going to be victimized. Some are victimized to the extreme. Okay, how many agree with that? Some are extremely victimized. But the victim mentality is that as I move forward, and I want to explain this the best I can, mentally, let's say that mental was physical. Okay, mentally, here's what it would look like in the physical. I had a traumatic event where I was victimized by somebody against my will. I didn't deserve it. It was an injustice. And I built furniture around it. 
And my current life is lived around my victimization. In fact, let me give you one little example. You can recite your victimization and tell that story at the drop of a pen. And everywhere you go to work, every friend you have who's even a mild friend, you can recite your victimization really quickly. Very quickly. And that story is something you've told so many times. And sometimes it's a testimony and sometimes it's building furniture around your victimization. So this is help for the victim. And here's the thing. All of us in some way probably have that mentality. And all of us have to get rid of this furniture that's in our life because it's affecting every relationship. It's affecting our walk with the Lord. It's affecting our progress as a person who loves the Lord. In fact, my job as a pastor is to be an under-shepherd of the Lord. And what the Lord wants to do as your shepherd is He wants to take you like a shepherd would. He wants to move you from one plot of land where you've chewed all the grass up to where there's nothing left, and He wants to move you to a plush area where you can keep feeding. That's a simple way of saying that's how the good shepherd works. He wants to move you from a place where there's drought He wants to move you to a place where it's well watered. And sometimes uh, sheep are stubborn and they don't want to move. Sometimes the sheep are not very intelligent and they get lost. Sometimes the sheep just don't move and sometimes he can gently nudge them with a staff and sometimes he has to use a rod. How many have ever been beaten by the good shepherd with a rod? You guys are lying. Don't lie to me. Uh, one person has, okay. Have you ever been through a really hard time? I don't want to call her by a liar, but I have to. It's my job, because if you don't tell me the truth, have you ever been through a real hard situation and say, why did God do that to me? God is a bad God. He's an awful God. He's not a wonderful God. Look what's going on in my life. Well, you have uh, God's handprint on your behind. He's trying to get you to move to a better place in your life, but you're too stubborn to do it. And so sometimes he has to use a rod, because sometimes all sheep will listen to is a rod. Sometimes you have to go through hard times in order for God to put something good in your life, and that's the truth, whether you agree with me or not. Because I've had the rod of God many times, because I'm a stubborn sheep being honest, and God is breaking me of that every day. So a, guilt, a victim mentality, let me, let me start with the foundation in the Bible because this is a big foundation. In Ezekiel 28.15, this is a scripture that is um, speaking of a certain earthly king, and then it kind of deviates from that. And he begins to talk about Satan himself. And talks about Satan and how he originally fell. How many of you know that when Satan originally fell, it affected us dramatically? There was something in him that we acquired. Something we got from him 
that changed the whole direction of mankind. How many would agree with that? Because he was the one, until his presence in the garden, man was perfect. Man had a great existence, and something that came from him got into us, and we haven't been the same ever since, and God's been trying to purge it out of us since. Ezekiel 28, 15, I think, is the thing that was in him. It says, you were perfect in your ways from the day that I created you until iniquity was found in you. Iniquity was found in Satan. As you begin to look at this word, it's a very interesting word. It's Strong's Hebrew 5766. And the word means injustice. Unrighteousness. Something was in Satan. Satan had a unjustness in him. Something in Satan, there was a unrest because of injustice. You know that Satan didn't think that God was being fair to him. That's what that word means. In fact, the word iniquity, in our Latin word iniquity, it comes from the word inequality, meaning something is not equal or fair. There was found in Satan something in him that said, God, this is not fair. It's not fair. Satan began to go to the other angels. I don't know what it was. The Bible doesn't say what it was that was unfair to Satan. But Satan maybe, in fact, I can speculate what I think it is. I think Satan found out that he was higher than man at the moment, like the Bible says. But there would come a day that he would be, man would be above the angels. The Bible says they're a little lower now, but they're going to rule and reign with God. And I think when he found out that they were created to serve man, I think he didn't like that. And so whatever it was, God, you're just not fair. How many have ever said that? Not fair. Life's not fair. My life hasn't been fair. Your life hasn't been fair. We're all mad at God because God is not fair to us. And Satan went to a third of the angels and convinced them what? God is not fair. He's not fair. I'll be fair to you. Really? Satan's going to be fair to you, but God's not. Sounds like a good proposition, right? He seems like a pretty good person to make a deal with. So Satan gets one third of the angels to rebel with him, right? He gets in the garden with Adam. This is your foundation of iniquity. This is your foundation of the victim mentality, right? He gets in the garden. What's the first thing he says to man and woman in the garden? Eve is sitting there. And what does he say? God say you can't eat of every tree? Well, first of all, he didn't say you couldn't eat of every tree. He said, no, just one we can't eat of. Well, God's really not being fair because God knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll be like Him. Do you see what angle He was using? God's not fair. 
Life's not fair. He doesn't treat you good. He's not a good God. And so what does Adam and Eve begin to do? Iniquity that was in Satan is now in them. God hasn't been fair to us. There is iniquity now in man. And because God is not fair with us, we have to do it our own way. Because of God's unfairness. And so they began to listen to Satan that God is not fair, God is not good, God did not tell you everything, He's holding back from you, and I can help you. So they don't listen to God. Just like the man in this psalm here, the wicked man. Had no room for God. We go on a little bit further. Even further proof. Cain and Abel. They both come with a gift. God had already shown them in the garden what a burnt offering was for sin as He slain an animal and gave them the skins of that animal. They come to bring the offering. One brings the offering that God asked for. The other one did not. And Cain, do you know what was on his mind before he killed his brother? God's not been fair to me. He's not fair. Life's not fair. Just not fair. And see, this is where our heart goes. We remember every time somebody wasn't fair to us, every time somebody did us wrong, every time somebody hurt us, every time somebody said something, and we've got so much furniture mentally in our heart that we can't live life. Now listen to where this goes on the victim mentality. It says, in some cases those that have a victim mentality, have in fact been the victim of wrongdoing by other people and have otherwise suffered misfortune through no fault of their own. However, the misfortune should not mean that they respond by developing a personal or a pervasive and universal victim mentality when they're frequently and constantly perceives oneself as a victim. Victim mentality is primarily developed, for example, from family members and situations during childhood. Now, what did Adam do when he sinned? Was he responsible? God, the woman that you gave me, is Eve going to be responsible? It wasn't my fault. The serpent that you gave me. <laughs> do you understand that these are the early roots of the mentality where I don't take responsibility for myself, it's somebody else's fault? And it begins to develop, and the root of it is, God is not good. God is not fair. God doesn't know what He's talking about. And then we begin to develop roots. And do you know that if you study criminology, one of the first things that you study is victimology. Victimology is, when you go to a prison, you rarely find, and I've been in those prisons, and I've talked to those people, and I've... Uh, spent time with people in the prison system, and you know very rarely are they wrong. Very rarely are they guilty. Very rarely is the punishment, um, does it fit what they did. And it's because of this thing called victimology. It means I have the right to do what I did because this was done to me. 
Because the world is so immoral and the world has been so hard and I had such a bad childhood and so many bad things have happened to me, I had the right to steal that because I've been unjustly treated money-wise. People were so harsh to me as a kid, and they're not going to say that, but you feel justified in burglarizing a house. You feel justified in robbing a, a liquor store. You feel justified in hurting somebody without an, any good reason to do it. And it's a thing called victimology. You say, well, man, I'm glad we're not criminals. Do you know that in your marriage, the same thing happens? Because she talked to me this way. Because she said that to me that way. How many know that 1 Corinthians 13 says we don't keep a record of wrongs? But you wait till the money runs out. You wait till that bill comes up. You wait till that stressful situation is thrown upon you. And boy, there's the rod of God. How? Oh, God hates me. God hates me. No, God wants you to deal with issues. And what's the first thing we do? We go back to all those old wounds. The way I was raised. My mom, my dad my wife, my husband. And we don't want to take responsibility for us being the victimizer. And then when we get victimized, we have no understanding for the victimizer. And so this pattern, you know, we get in church. I'm glad it doesn't happen in church. Pastor Chad... My walk with the Lord is just, you're not offering enough things to me. We want, we want you to do more because I'm not growing spiritually. Is it really my fault? Or do we need to grow up and be responsible? We need to grow up and you say, man, why are you just talking to me? Why don't you pick on everybody else? Because I told you it's for everybody. It's for me. You know, I can, I can point out ten times yesterday that I had furniture in my life that I didn't remove. That I remembered something somebody said a week ago, a year ago, two years ago. And I let that furniture sit in that room and I don't address it. I don't deal with it. Something somebody said to me when I was a ten-year-old shouldn't be affecting me when I'm 47. Let's get real. Alright? And if you're walking in this Word, something your husband or your wife said to you a year ago, we should be able to forgive too. That's furniture. That's furniture that's affecting the way we live. Sometimes when it's quiet, I've got a boring message and everybody's falling asleep. Sometimes when it's quiet, you know you're hitting the mark. But I don't know which one it is. I hope I'm hitting the mark. <laughs> Victim mentality. Let me go over some of the definitions of it. Does everybody understand the biblical foundation of this? Inequity. Iniquity. It is life hasn't been fair. How many have ever lived your life with a... With a you don't ever say it, but the mantra is life just isn't fair. And you repress that. And you never say that. You're usually happy and smiling and man, everything's great. But when things go bad, 
and the shepherd slaps you with the rod, then some of that stuff comes out that God's trying to get out of you. And then that life's not fair comes out. I've been there. I'm not just saying it because I've seen somebody do it. I'm saying it because God, Paul said, in all things I've learned to be content. In all things I've learned to worship. What does that mean? Well, Paul was half beaten and dying, stoned many times, and he's sitting in a prison worshiping God like it's the greatest day of his life. He's learned to worship God through everything. Circumstances shouldn't dictate what's in our heart. And what's happening is, every time God allows you to go through a hard time, He's trying to grow us up. He's trying to help us be responsible for every area of our life. He doesn't want us to have a victim mentality because people, everybody is victimized. Everybody. Some people choose not to live as a victim. Some people choose to the rest of their life build furniture around it. And this message is about not building furniture around it. Moving forward and getting things done and making solutions to problems and not avoiding problems. Not, not acting like problems aren't there, you know, but being responsible and being direct about it. Satan's antagonism. Something I want to discuss. This is going to make me look really bad. I've got a perfect, I've got a perfect example of Satan's antagonism, but I really debated whether to tell it because it makes me look so bad. But when I was in grade school, me and some friends of mine decided there were two kids that kind of had bad attitudes and always picked on the little kids. And you might remember this actually. We decided on the bus trip we were going to cause them to fist fight before the day was over. So we became antagonizers. And so one went over to the other guy and said, hey, this guy really thinks he can whip you. And then we went to the other guy and said, yeah, he's over there saying he can whip you, which he really did, because we said he thinks he can whip you. Then we went back to the other one and said, yeah, he's over there talking. He doesn't think it's... And by the end of... Uh, 20-minute bus ride, they were fist fighting. That makes me look terrible, I know. I am a jerk. <laughs> that was previous to me, you know, of course being born again, you know. All right, everybody can forgive me. The Lord has, I believe, being real. But you know, Satan, this is his gift. Satan is an antagonist. He does exactly the same thing, and it's easy to do. 20-minute bus ride, I can get two people fist fighting for their life. All Satan has to do is just whisper something in your ear, whisper something in your husband or wife's ear, whisper something in your mom or dad's ear, and we fall for it every time. Satan's been doing it for a long time. He's an antagonist. That's why he went directly from one-third of the angels rebelling to Adam and Eve rebelling, Cain rebelling. You understand he's the master antagonist. Your pastor isn't. How many know it's easy in church to be an antagonist? Well, work, it's easy to be that antagonist. Marriage, if you're a teenager, you're a master antagonist sometimes. Don't say amen. Offend any teenagers. But 
Satan is an antagonist. Now listen to this. There's a few people in the Bible that didn't seem to exhibit victim mentality. You know, Joseph, his brothers sold him into slavery. First, that was the alternative because they decided not to kill him. Okay, you think you had it bad. His brothers threw him in a pit and were debating whether to kill him or to sell him into slavery. He gets sold into slavery. A woman accuses him of of trying to rape her, falsely gets thrown into jail, and never do you see a record of Joseph ever playing the victim. I don't I, I think there would have been a record if he would have went down to the prison and was like, yeah. Joseph had everybody around him, and he was like, yeah, my, my life was so bad. Yeah, when I was uh, young, I had everything going for me, and I don't know why they hated me. They just hated me. I don't know why. They threw me in a pit. I don't know why. Yeah, and look at this, man. I was falling in the pit. Look at this scar. And then one time they beat me up, and look at this scar. And then I was doing this, and look at this scar. And You just don't see that in this guy's life. He's not a victim. All right, he believed that God had his hand on his life, and there was no reason to believe that. God had plans and God had purposes, and at no point, even though he was victimized to the max, at no point does Joseph ever say, I'm a victim, I feel sorry for myself. But some of you have been feeling sorry for yourself your whole life, and you need to quit. That's the reason I'm here today. Move forward. God's trying to move you to better places, but you're so stubborn. And you feel so sorry for yourself. I'm trying to break up the pity party. Listen to this. Self-pity is spiritual suicide. It is an indefensible self-mutilation of your soul. Pity parties are self-mutilation of your soul. I'm trying to help you get tired of feeling sorry for yourself. And let's move forward. And right now, I'm going to read some more stuff here. Right now, it it tells me, my research tells me that you're going to hate me right now. That I'm the last person that somebody that struggles with that wants. I'm the last one they want, but the message that I have is what they need. Now listen to this. Daniel wasn't like that. One of my few examples here. Daniel wasn't like that. He went, uh, actually, he got taken as a slave to the Babylonians at a young age. Um, and everywhere he went, they did bad things and they tried to throw him in a pit. But both these men never complained. Threw him in a lion's den. How'd you like to go to work and everybody be so jealous of you? They throw you in a lion's den, you're like 80 years old. <laughs> okay, I mean, he had some things he could complain about, I think. Jesus never showed up mentality of being a victim, even though I could go through his life, he was victimized terribly. Maybe as much as any person has ever been victimized, Jesus was. Okay, in the general sense, a victim is anyone who experiences injury, loss, or misfortune as a result of some event or series of events. Now, who is that? There's no way that that's not all of us. We've all suffered those things. This negative experience, however, is insufficient for the emergence of a sense of victimhood. Individuals may identify as a victim if they believe that, number one, I was harmed. That's number one. Okay, hopefully that's not us. Go to the next one. 
I was not the cause of the harmful act. How many have ever been harmed unjustly? All of us. I had no ability to prevent the harm. That's all of us, right? We're all still there, right? Now here's the big one. If the harm constituted an injustice and they received empathy later, the desire for empathy is the crucial turning point. If you go through grief, guess what you need? Empathy. Right? Necessary. If you're going to make it through grief, this message isn't not about don't grieve. Grow up, don't grieve. It's not this, that's not this message. Because grieving is required process. It's not I've been hurt, I need healing. It's not this message. Okay, that's not this message. If you've been hurt, you need healing, you need empathy. But the turning point is, how long do I need empathy? And where does that empathy begin to turn in my life? In fact, can I tell you something? I've learned over the years to recognize the victim mentality. And they seek out people who will constantly give empathy. Empathy over and over and over and over. And the minute they see somebody that won't give them the empathy they desire, they will immediately turn on you. Because you're trying to help and that, that will never be listened to. The need for empathy. <clears throat> the desire for empathy is crucial. The mere experience of a harmful event is not enough for the emergence of a sense of victimization. In order to have this sense, there is a need to perceive the harm as undeserved, unjust, immoral, and it couldn't have been prevented. And then they need to obtain empathy and understanding that normally emerges, and then the victim believes that their life from there on has been unfairly uh, victimized by that one act. Because I had a bad childhood, that is going to affect me my whole life. And the receiving of empathy feels good. And the receiving of empathy makes the same people that will not tell them to get move forward, the same people will say, you're not even responsible. You were treated so bad as a child, you're not even responsible now. And that feels good. I don't have responsibility. Everybody loves me. Everybody's giving me attention. The church, if you stay there, it's not healthy. You'll go from one... Receiving of empathy to the next receiving of empathy. And what God wants you to do is have healing. God doesn't want you to be a victim. God wants you to be a victor. God wants you to be one who overcomes circumstances, not an object of the circumstance. Characteristics of victim mentality. Oh, let me read this. In essence, victim mentality is a method of avoiding responsibility and criticism, receiving attention and compassion, and evading feelings of genuine positive energy toward change. I mean, no, you can live in that. You can live in that your whole life. You say, man, I'm glad he preaches. So-and-so needs to hear it. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. We all have pity parties, right? 
It just depends on how extreme God makes life around us. And God doesn't want us to live there saying, Oh, God hates me. Everybody hates me. It's always been this way. It's always going to be this way. It's never going to change. God doesn't want us living there. Characteristics of the victim mentality. Number one, other people are always identified as the cause. Please remember, I didn't write this. This is plagiarism on my part. Because if I wrote it, then you would get mad and not listen. But if I plagiarized it, then somebody else wrote it who's a professional and you can't really attack my character except I plagiarized, right? All right. There will be an identification of other people as the cause. I would have done better spiritually that new pastor I have. Everybody knows he doesn't give me the empathy that I deserve, I need. And I'm not trying to, I really don't want to be funny here because this is something that really holds people back. That new pastor, that new pastor is really causing me to be off track. I've got a right to go out and be wild now because it's just one of those period of times where they give me a period of grace. You know, there's a period of grace here. I can do what I want. I've got the freedom to do whatever. Freedom for responsibility and criticism because pastor is not what I expected. I've got a period I can do what I want and not be responsible for my life because my parents, they're, they're hard to deal with. Very understandable. I don't have to be responsible. But if you knew my wife or you knew my husband, really, well, how about taking person out? How about taking responsibility for your own life? They're that powerful that they're affecting your obedience to God. You understand how you build furniture around excuses? And God wants to get rid of the furniture, get rid of the excuses, and say, quit living in that. You're not a victim, you're a victor. I didn't die for you to be a victim. I, desire, I, I died for you to overcome and become a victor. Number two, they exhibit heightened attention levels. They're hyper vigilant in the presence of other people. They are very aware of negative intentions. They can take a neutral statement or a neutral action, and they're hypersensitive to say, He did that to hurt me. He did that to. Intentionally hurt me. And maybe they did. But God wants us to get to the point that whether they did or whether they didn't, it's not affecting our life. God wants us so strong, you say, well, in this world, are people going to hurt me? Are people going to have negative actions? Yeah. But if you're hypersensitive, there are going to be people that don't have negative actions. They're just trying to help you move forward, but you're so hypersensitive that they're the cause. You understand what I'm saying? And I've got freedom to do what I want again. I don't have responsibility for my life again because they did this to me. I don't have responsibility. Of course not. No, sugar, come here. Let me give you a hug. It's not you. It's not you, baby. Don't say it's you. Come here. Let me, let me hug you. You need a big hug. No, you need to be responsible for your life. 
But you won't hear that, trust me. The condition says they will never hear somebody tell them. Never. Next one. Believing that other people are generally more fortunate. Well, of course they're doing better. Of course, obviously. They had better this, they had better that, they had better this. Well, what about the other three-fourths of the world that don't have anything? Of course, they, they, have it more, they have it better than I did. Yeah, in fact, you want to argue about it? Let's see who had it the worst growing up. If you're having those kind of arguments, you're probably the one I'm talking about. Let's, let's argue about who had it worse. And you say, well, you're talking about somebody else. They need to hear this. No, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. We've had those arguments already. No, I had it worse. You know, you know, you had, no, I had it worse. No, you had it worse. No, no, and they're always one-upping each other on who had it worse, right? <clears throat> I got six minutes. They gain relief from feeling empathy for oneself and, and receiving empathy from other people. Relief comes from the empathy. So they're constantly seeking out what? But remember, it feels good. You can't miss the fact that the empathy feels good, right? It's almost like a, um, it fills a void in the heart, but it doesn't ever heal anything. Does everybody understand that? It fills a void in my heart, but it doesn't actually ever heal what's in here. It never fills it. But it feels really good. And you seek out everybody that gives empathy. But if somebody stands up and what I'm saying today, if somebody stands up and says it, you feel the anger inside of you. You feel the anger because you've been hiding behind this your whole life. And God's trying to move you out of that. God, does, God wants you to be responsible and see what it feels like for one day. Be totally responsible for you. And quit blaming other people. It's typically characterized by attitudes of pessimism, self-pity, repressed anger, bitterness, and apathy. How much victimization is in a marriage? Repress it. How much repressed bitterness is over that statement you're still mad about two years ago? Or that attitude that was given to you five years ago? And in a marriage, you just see repressed anger, bitterness, stubbornness. And if God were present and God were able to speak into your life, He would say, don't hold on to it. Forgive. Love. Love doesn't hold on to those things. And He's saying there's furniture that's all around you and it's going to blow up when things go bad. And you're going to have to deal with it. And God wants us to deal with it now. God wants us to go to somebody and say, hey, I've been bitter and I shouldn't be bitter. You know, you're human and I'm human. And we need to do this together. And I, I want to forgive you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't be resentful. I shouldn't be bitter. You're doing the best you can and I'm not going to blame you for, you know, how many of us get mad and everything comes out? And that's what it is, that furniture of victimization. Somebody's hurt you for no reason. I've been working every day. I've been working all this time, and now you hurt me. 
People with victim mentality develop convincing and sophisticated explanations that support their ideals, which they use to explain themselves and others of their situation. Very good thinkers, okay? Very important to remember this. Here's some characteristics. They're realists. They have a tendency to be very realistic and perceive situations very well. But listen to this. They lack awareness and the curiosity to actually change a situation. They're realists. They perceive the situation well, but don't mistake understanding your situation to having the awareness to change it. Very sophisticated in their discussions. I'm this way because... And it's very well thought out. It's an acquired mentality. They're very, very introspective. They're constantly evaluating inner thoughts. In fact, the inner dialogue is powerful. It's like, well, I deserve to do this because of this. And, I, and there's an inner dialogue there. Do you know that a criminal has an inner dialogue too? It's like, well, I deserve the money from here because I had no money growing up. We were poor. We were dirt poor. And this liquor store, that's what caused my problems. I deserve it. And we have an inner dialogue where we say, well, you know, if I would have gotten this job or if I would have had money or if I wouldn't have had this bill or if I wouldn't have had this financial trouble or if my pastor would have been a better pastor. I bring that up. Don't think that bothers me. It doesn't bother me. It's just one of the things that we do. It's one of the things I do. It's one of the things that God is trying to remove that furniture in our life. But they're very introspective. They have a strong sense of entitlement and selfishness. They're very defensive in conversations. They have a tendency, get this, this will be foreign, nobody will understand this. They have a tendency to divide people into good and bad. Good people, bad people. There's a dichotomy of people. I like that group, I don't like that group. If we're regularly doing that, we might have a victim mentality. They're trying to hurt me, they're not. How many have ever seen that in somebody? Not yourself. Told you it would be foreign. I've been that way. Right? I'm the only one. Alright. They're unadventurous. They don't have a lot of adventure in trying to change themselves. They'd rather live comfortably and easy than actually produce change, which is hard. Always take the easy way out. They exhibit learned helplessness. You know there's a thing called learned helplessness? Have you ever counseled with somebody and no matter what you said, it wasn't a solution? Like there's nothing that will work here. This situation is impossible. Because they have a learned helplessness. Now you talk to them, that won't work. No, that won't work. No, that won't work. Well, what's going to work? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. There's nothing that can change. And they're right. It's a learned helplessness. But my Bible says I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. There is no helplessness in Christ. 
There's a spirit of power, a spirit of might. God wants us to think that way. <clears throat> they often get trapped in the self-image of victimization. The profile of victimization is a pervasive sense of helplessness, positivity, loss of control, pessimism, negative thinking, strong feelings of guilt, shame, self-blame, and depression. The way of thinking can lead to hopelessness and despair. Now before I get to the breaking out, which I know I'm running late, I want to get to the benefits, because you're going to have to be willing to let go of these if you want to change. The benefits are attention and validation. You're always going to have really good feelings when somebody has empathy. But by accepting empathy and searching for empathy and finding people that will only give you empathy, that's your reward. You can't change. If all I want is somebody to tell me what I want to hear, in fact, the Bible says in the last days, they will gather to themselves preachers who tickle their ears. Preachers that will tell them what they want to hear and not get up and be responsible for your life. That's the last thing somebody with a victim mentality wants. They want a preacher that says, oh, it's impossible. We've all had a hard life. It's been awful. We just all have a big pity party. God's saying, no, we can move forward. We don't have to be a victim. God hasn't called me to be a victim. Number two, you, one of the benefits is you don't have to take risks. You can always take the easy way out. You know, I'm always going to have money problems. Well, not if you work overtime and quit spending money. No, that would never work. That would, that, that's impossible. That would never work. No, I'm just never going to have money. Well, why did you go on that vacation if you didn't have any money? Why did you go buy that car if you didn't have money? Why did you go buy something you couldn't afford if you didn't have money? Well, I'll just never have money. It's been like that since I was young. You know, I never got to go to college because my mom and dad never got to do this, never got to do that. That's easy. The hard thing is make a budget. Hard thing is be disciplined. Oh no, that's man. No, I'm not disciplined because when I was young, all right. I can't help you. You don't have to take the sometimes heavy responsibility. That's one of the benefits. And it makes you feel like you're right. You want to give up being right? What do you mean by being right? Well, I have a right to behave this way because of the way I was treated. And God's asking you to give up your rights. I have a right to be mad because I was treated in a way that no child should ever be treated as a child. And that's probably true. You were probably damaged in a very bad way. And you may have some rights in the world, but repentance says, give up the right to be angry and forgive. My marriage, man, you don't know what I put up with for 40 years. And maybe in man's eyes you have a right there, but in God's eyes you don't. 
God says you're to forgive them and you're to love them like Christ loved the church. Men, we've got to love. You know, when you made a vow, till death do we part, and you're saying those vows, a lot of times people are smiling. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm picturing the worst times of marriage. You know, I have a friend who's a quad, or quadriplegic, can't move from his neck down. Been married for 25 years, 20, has five children. And I'm picturing that. Will you be there for me? If I can't walk and I can't move my arms, can't move my legs, will you be there when we don't have any money? You know, will you be there for me in sickness and in hell, richer or for poor, till death do we part? How to break out? That's what I want to know. How do we break out of the, the mentality? Number one, you have to say, I'm okay with not being a victim. But Chad, you don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand my childhood. You don't understand how hard it is. For me, not other people, just me, it's hard for me because I've abnormally had it worse than everybody else. I can find people that had it ten times worse than you. I don't even know your story. I'm just telling you. There's people that have had it ten times worse than you and I don't even know your stories in here. And there are bad stories in here. You say, well, you don't know. You've never, you never been around anything like I've been around it. Trust me. I've been around it and there are people that have ten times worse stories than you. But you've got to be okay with not being the victim. But Chad, that's where I get all my attention. That's where everybody gives me all the attention and all the love. Yeah, but you're never going to grow. You're never going to grow and you're never going to be responsible and you're never going to have the walk with the Lord that He wants you to have if you keep holding on to your rights. you got to say, I am not a victim. Say that with me. I am not a victim. Church, we've got to say that. It's liberating even to say it, but to live it, it's really liberating. I am not a victim. I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim of circumstances. I'm not a victim of people. I'm not a victim of this world. I'm beyond this world. God has made me a victor. God's above this world. Everything that I've lost in this world will restore, be restored in a short time. I am not a victim. I'm a victor through Christ. So the first thing we have to say is I'm not a victim. And quit living like you're a victim. Number two. Take responsibility for your life. What would it be like if just one day everything was based on what you do? Not how bad your boss is at work. Well, I would be a lot better worker if it wasn't for that jerk manager that I have. What does the manager have to do with your work ethic? Nothing, but you don't work hard because of him. Well, I would I would work harder in my sport if I like my coach or I like the decisions he made. What does your coach have to do with your work ethic? What does he have to do? What does winning and losing have to do with your work ethic? Either you work hard or you don't. Well, I would be a better husband if it weren't for my 
What does your wife have to do with the quality of husband you are? What does your husband have to do with the quality of wife you are? What does your children have to do with the quality dad or mom you are? What does your dad and mom, oh no, don't say it, have to do with you as a teenager? Grow up and be responsible for your life for one day. Everything that happened today is because of me. No, Chad, don't say that. I would have had that job if they wouldn't have treated me bad at work. Well, if you'd quit showing up late every day and you would work hard, they wouldn't have fired you. Today, everything that happens to me is because of me. Oh, wow. I went from one, two to four. Man, it's going to haunt me what three was. Number four, gratitude. I mean, no gratitude. Three might have changed your life. (laughs) I don't even know what three was. (laughs) It probably would have changed your life, though. Probably something about giving your heart to the Lord or something. Yeah. But gratitude. I mean, you know, the roots of what the enemy tries to do in your heart is to not be appreciative to God, not love God, not thank God. Never count our blessings, only look at the negative in life. And if all you look at the negative in life, you're never going to have any positive in your life. And the enemy wants you to not be grateful, not have gratitude. I mean, if you have a, if you have a, home, a lot of the world would, I mean, would die to live where you're living. A lot of the world would die to look in the cupboards and see what you have. You know, we're so ungrateful as a nation. Our poor people in our nation are the rich people in most parts of the world. And that's the truth. That's not true. It's true. It is. Number five, forgive. 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 And you say, oh man, I forgive. Yeah, man, I'm always forgiven. And why are you holding grudges? Listen to this scripture here. I'm really long, man. Don't be mad at me. You can't be mad. It says, By speaking the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging symbol, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith. So as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, kind, does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. Now listen to this. It does not insist on having its own way, and is not irritable and resentful. Forgiveness. How much do we carry unforgiveness around? How much resentment and bitterness and anger? How many know the roots of Bitterness, resentful, resentment and anger are rooted in forgiveness. Every time you've taken a blow from your husband or wife as far as a beating, like every time they've ever slapped you, you say, well, they've never slapped me. I'm talking verbal. Every time they said something that hurt you and you hold on to it, that's unforgiveness. Every time they treat you in a way that doesn't make you happy, that's unforgiveness. You've got to immediately forgive them for that. Immediately let that go. You can't build furniture around that resentment. And a lot of marriages do that. How many know that? They build furniture around resentment. Same thing in relationships with your kids. Let me go real quickly here. Turn your focus outward into other people. One of the key things is it's a selfish thing to have a victim mentality. Let God... Let God 
heal you so you can heal other people that have been victimized. You know, every person I've ever ministered to, it's because I've seen them as me as a young kid. I've seen me in them. And I'm always ministering to me. Me 20 years ago when I needed somebody to minister to me. Everybody I ever talked to, I see me. I say, man, I feel what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. I know you need help. I know you need this. I know you need that. And, and why I'm so passionate about helping people move forward is because if I didn't move forward, I would have been destroyed. Quickly been destroyed. I had to move forward. Last one. Everybody say amen. Wait till you hear it. Quit being offended and feeling sorry for yourself. Jesus said in Luke 17, said to His disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. It is impossible that no offenses should come. You know what impossible means? Not possible. Offenses will come. How are we going to deal with offenses in our life? We're going to be mistreated. Injustice. God's asking us, what is in your heart? Prepare yourself for when that comes. Begin to deal with those issues now. Do I have any unforgiveness? When you're in prayer time, a lot of people are there like, uh, now I lay me down to sleep. You should be saying, God, is there anything in me that's not right? Search my heart. Is there anything against my wife? Anything against my husband? Anything against my kids? Anything against my pastor? And God will begin to do a work. And I, I always say, man, is there anything I'm angry at these people. Is there a reason why I yell at them all the time? <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. As the worship team comes up here, let's uh, let's bow our head in prayer. And I'm going to open this altar up. And uh, nobody's going to be looking. Nobody cares that somebody's going up or not going up. It's just us and the Lord. It's me and the Lord. It's you and the Lord. I don't even need to be laying hands on you. You just need to come up here before the Lord and just say, God, I'm laying it down. I'm laying it down. I'm picking up responsibility, Lord God. I'm picking up you. I don't want to hold on to this anymore. I've made excuses for too long. I made excuses for my spiritual life, my personal life. And God, I'm laying it down. You can lay it down at your seat. How many know that? You can kneel down at your seat. You can stand at your seat. And you can lay it down before the Lord, but you know that the, the pureness of sin, the pureness of iniquity is Satan having an injustice with God. The beginning of sin with Adam and Eve was that God wasn't just, God wasn't fair. If your mantra your whole life is God isn't fair, if every time something goes bad you say God isn't fair, God wants you to lay that down and, and see Him as the loving God that He is the one who wants to bless your life, the one who wants to pour out blessings. How many know God wants to bless everybody in this room? But He can't bless us as long as we keep saying that He's not fair. He is a fair God. He is a just God. He is a good God. And the sooner in your life you can bow your knee and say, God, you are a good God, the quicker God can begin to pour out His plans and His purposes in your life. Bow your heads this morning. Close your eyes. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, I just pray that that weight, 
Lord, that victim mentality, Lord God, that you would just begin to lift it. Lord, it's been long enough, Lord God. We've held on to bitterness. We've held on to resentment. We've held on to anger. We've held on to false ideas, Lord God. It's been heavy on our life, Lord. It's been heavy on our marriage, heavy on our relationships. And Lord, right now, I pray that you give the courage and the power of the Holy Spirit to lay it down, Lord. To let it go, Lord God. Your burden is light. Praise the Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Let me tell you this morning. I told you that it says a person that carries these things will not listen to another person. They say that a person has to go through something really hard that makes them lay it down. That's how they usually listen. And I'm telling you today, if you have the awareness in your life to be able to see it now, lay it down. Don't make yourself have to go through some traumatic experience to finally lay it down. But God, because He loves you, will take you through trauma for you to lay it down. Because God wants you to have good things in your life. God wants to bless your life. God cares about your soul. He will allow you to go through the sifting, even of Satan, in order to get you to lay it down. So I'm just telling you today, don't be so hard-headed. Don't be so stubborn. Don't be so stiff-necked that you have to go through something. Just lay it down and say, God, I want you in my life. I want to be responsible not just for one day, not just for 24 hours. I want to be responsible for me every day. I'm not blaming people anymore. you got enough mileage out of your childhood, okay? And I'm not making light of it. I know it was hard. And I know you were mistreated. And I know you were abused. And I know you've been abused by people, but I'm just telling you, it's got way too much mileage in your life. you got to lay it down and move forward. Find a place. I'll pray for you if you need prayer. There's a place at the altar. Pray at your seats. Lord, um, some of you, when you heard this message, you said to yourself, I've never been a victim. I'm not a victim. I'm nobody's victim. I don't have any problem with that. I'm not a victim. Well, let me tell you something. There's two halves to that psalm. The first one was the arrogant victimizer. And the second was the one who was the victim. You need to search your heart because you might be the victimizer. That's okay. The ultimate responsible act is to be a child of God and every day... Come before the Lord and say, search my heart. What is in my heart? That's the ultimate responsible behavior. What is there that's not pleasing with you, Lord? What is not, what's there that doesn't please you? What do you want to do in me today, God? Where do you want me to grow? That's the ultimate in responsibility. And you might be the victimizer. If you're never a victim, found there's two kinds of people. There's hills and there's valleys. When somebody's a valley emotionally, you've got to find a way to build them up where they can say, I am not a victim anymore. When they're a hill, you've got to chop them down. 
Don't walk out of here puffed up and say, I've never been a victim. Good message, Chad. I'll give it to the person who I'm around all day long. See, you think you're better than the person you're victimizing. You're healthier. But God's trying to work on you. And when you give them that download of this message, say, I'm praying for you that God will build you up. And I'm praying that God will knock me down. Hello? It's okay to pray, God, knock me down. God, humble me. God, don't make me an arrogant victimizer. And it's okay to pray, you're not a victim any longer. Quit saying you're a victim. You're not a victim. Let's walk forward and let's be healthy together. I'm as sick as you are. And I need God's healing. I need God to build in my life. I need God to humble me. And I need God to build you up. I need God to build you up. And I need God to humble me. How many can do that? I hope nobody walks in here and says that psalm was not for me. For all of us. Lord, Heavenly Father, right now, by the power of your Spirit, change us, Lord God. Transform us, Lord. Lord, we want to be like you, Lord God. Oh, we want to be like you, Father, like Joseph was, like Daniel was, Lord God, like you were. Lord, that love just flowed uninhibited, Lord. There was no anger, Lord. There was no bitterness. There was no resentment, Lord God. No matter what they did, Lord God, it didn't change your character and who you were, Lord. Do that in us, Lord God, we pray. In your name, Lord Jesus, we all ask. Everybody said amen. Praise the Lord. Bless you.